0: Welcome and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's Sermon Podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. We are continuing our series, Mama Knows Best. All right, and all the mama said? Amen. Amen, that's right. We've been trying to tell you that for many years, and today and last week we are confirming it, and we're gonna confirm it for the next two weeks. We today are talking about eat healthy. How many of your moms ever got on you about what you ate? Don't eat that snack because you're going to spoil or ruin your dinner, right? Okay? You know, make sure to eat your vegetables maybe if that was your struggle. You know, believe it or not, chicken nuggets are not a vegetable. Sorry to ruin that for people, you know, it's got breading, which comes from wheat, which would technically be like, you know, a grain vegetable type thing, but it's not, it's not a vegetable, okay? Mom's right. All right, eat smart. You know, I've talked about how uh, for a few weeks I've been trying to work out, and I've been, I saw like my waistline getting a little bit smaller. Don't y'all judge me and tell me that it ain't that small. I, I will fight you. I will fight you. But... I did realize that I wasn't dropping a lot of pounds because my diet wasn't where it needed to be. And so last, last week, I decided, okay, I'm gonna cut like sugar out a little bit. I'm not gonna add a lot of sugar to stuff. I'm not going to, I'm gonna try to cut back on carbs. And I started dropping a few pounds, right? Those things. When mom says eat healthy, there's a reason because you wanna take care of your body. You wanna make sure that you last a long time. And mom will tell you eat healthy. If you wanna grow, if you wanna gain strength, If you want to uh, simply be healthy, you have to eat regular, well-balanced meals. Am I right? As much as we want to argue, as much as we want to hope that, okay, let's be real. How many of you have ever, you know, prayed for God to take that Krispy Kreme donut and nourish your body? You ever use that phrase? Dear God, bless this food to the nourish, that's right, man. Bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. Take these Cheetos, Lord, and make them into broccoli, you know, in my digestive tract. it doesn't work that way. But here's the thing. It can be frustrating trying to eat healthy, can't it? Because as much as we're told, trust the science, the science on our diets changes all the time, doesn't it? For the past 20 or 30 years, we've been told, don't eat any butter, fat, or bacon. And now they're like, whoops, you can eat it, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, I was not really stop it anyway. But anyway... If you want to be healthy, that's what they said for a long time. But now they're saying it's good. What we learn as almost anything is anything in moderation can be okay. You know, And so make good choices. But it's a little bit scary with our diets because it's always changing. But I got some good news for you. The type of diet that we're talking about today, the science doesn't change. The facts don't change. It's always been true, and it will always be true. If you want to be spiritually healthy, then you've got to eat the right things. And what we're talking about today is eating God's Word. Eating God's Word. That's the good news is that the the information on that doesn't change. The same thing that could make you a healthy disciple of Jesus 2,000 years ago can make you a healthy disciple of Jesus right now today. We don't know, you know, we know the right things to eat to be healthy. We know that it's, it's, um, it's a good thing to have a healthy diet. But when it comes down to choosing the kale over the Krispy Kreme, that's a whole other thing, right? And in reality, when we're talking about being a disciple, if you've been around the church for any amount of time, you probably have an idea about what to do to be a healthy disciple. But it's another thing to actually do those things, Right? And so let's talk about some of those things today. How healthy is your spiritual diet? Are you eating God's Word daily? And, and if, you, if it's a newer thing to you and you think, why are you calling it eating? Well, there's a few places in Scripture that talks about that God's Word is like milk or meat for our, our spiritual bodies. And so we're kind of taking that angle. But are you eating God's Word daily? Are you consuming it and taking it in? You know, we, we've joked about it, I've joked about it many times before. Not many of us will go much time without eating, but we'll skip reading our Bible a lot. And if we want to be a healthy disciple, a healthy Christian, then we need to eat God's Word daily. Let me ask it this way. Are you a spiritual junk food addict? Are you a spiritual junk food addict? Do you only take little bite-sized bits that other people have processed and maybe in books or like do you have a, a scripture calendar and that simple little verse is all you get? And that's a good place to start. A verse a day is a great place to start. Maybe you got the Bible app and it sends you the verse of the day. That's a great thing, but it can't always be the only thing that sustains you. Are you a spiritual junk food addict? Or are you simply starving yourself? Are you going on a starvation diet with God's Word and you've not been reading it? Or let's be a little bit weird, but a little bit honest. Are you a 5, 10, 15-year-old, 20-year-old baby bird who only gets what somebody else has regurgitated for you? I'm not getting on people who are new to this whole church thing too much. But for those of us who have been around for a little bit, if your spiritual food is only what you hear on a Sunday morning or only what you hear on a connect group, a small group Bible study, if that's the only spiritual food you're getting, you're like a full-grown baby bird that's not learning to eat for yourself. And so we've got to ask ourselves, what kind of diet are we going to have as a disciple, as a Christian? We've got to break the spiritual cycle of spiritual starvation or skipping the meat or spiritual junk food. So how do we follow what mom's advice would be is to eat healthy and God's advice is to eat healthy spiritually? Here's a few ideas I believe that will help us dig deeper into God's word. There are three rules that I want to give you for studying the Bible and here they are right here. Context, context, context. The old saying about real estate was the main three rules about real estate are what? Location, location, location. And now it's just location don't matter, it's just going to be $30,000 over asking price, just get used to it. That's that's the rule now, I guess. But with understanding and studying scripture, the first three things are context, context, context. And that's sort of a double meaning here. It's sort of as a joke for emphasis, but there's also some truth in it. The first thing is this, there's a rule of context that I want to look at. When you look at that next slide, context in the verses. Context in the verses of the Bible you read. Now, we're going to get a little bit into some details here, but I want y'all to bear with me, okay? Because this is really important for us to get deeper in God's Word. If you want to understand the Bible, you have to look at the context of verses. There have been whole cults that have been started because people pick and choose a verse here or there. There have been whole religions that have been started because a little kernel of truth that people have pulled out. And so we've got to make sure that we look at more than just One verse or two verses if we're going to study God's Word. So we got to look at the context of the verses. There's an old joke, an old story that's told about a guy who was looking for guidance in his life. And he said, well, I guess I'm going to turn to the Bible. And he picks up a Bible and he does the method that some people do where he just flips through the pages. And he puts his finger down and he lands his finger on the passage of Scripture in the Gospels. Where it says that Judas was hanging himself. And he's like, Oh no! And so he's like, I'm not going to follow that advice. So he's flipping the pages again. I've got to find something different. He puts his finger down, and he lands on a verse that says, go and do likewise. That's not a good method for finding out how to biblically live your life, is it? Just the hunt and peck method, or just flip it open and put your finger down. God can speak through that, but that's not the way that he intended for us to learn from his word. Here's a good example from Scripture. Philippians 4.13, have you ever heard that verse? I can do all things through him or Christ who strengthens me, depending on which translation you're looking at. I can do all things through him, who Christ who strengthens me. And many people have said, okay, well, I'm five foot four and I don't work out, but I believe through Christ I'm gonna be able to dunk a basketball on something more than a little tyke's goal, on a 10 foot goal. And literally, people have done that. They they put it, you know, athletes will put it on their shoe on uh, while they're playing a sporting event. But that's not what that verse is talking about. And here's a great example. That's chapter 4, verse 13. If you look at one verse ahead and read more than just that one verse, Paul says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's talking about learning to be content in every situation whether you got a lot of money or a little bit of money. When you don't know where your next meal is going to come or you got a feast. He's talking about it being content. And so the truth of this scripture is missed if we don't read the context of the verses around it. You see what I'm saying? We can totally take it and go a completely different direction. Now In some ways, the verse is true almost in any context, but the first place it's true is in learning to be content in life, even when it doesn't go your way. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's a whole lot more powerful than being able to dunk or catch a touchdown pass. That's a whole lot better than being able to pass a test without studying. (laughs) You know, It's a whole lot better than what we make it. The next level of context is this, chapters and books, chapters and books. Sometimes you have to back out just a little bit further to get a good understanding of past the verses into the chapters around it and the books around it. A good example of this is Romans chapter 10 verse 9. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This verse is absolutely true. But many times it's taken out of context just that one verse is pulled out and people try to say that's all you need to have a relationship with Jesus. But this verse doesn't mention anything about repentance. And I don't know anybody who would say that we can be saved without repenting of our sins. You know, we can't just go and do whatever we want and say, God, just accept me on my terms, not your terms. But it doesn't say that. And so we can't just read that one verse. It doesn't say anything about uh, being baptized into Christ to have our sins forgiven. It doesn't say anything about that. And so that one verse, if we just take it out of context, can kind of get us a little bit confused. But if you back out and you look at the chapter and the the book of the Bible around it, you can learn a lot more about it. For instance, if you back out and get the rest of the chapter— You see that Paul is in chapter 10, he starts this idea, it says in verse 1, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. He's taking a turn and he spent the first part of Romans talking about how everybody's lost, Jews, Gentiles, everybody's lost, but then through Jesus everybody can be saved. But when he gets to chapter 10 he says, Man, I wish, it's my prayer to God that my Jewish brothers and sisters would stop rejecting Jesus. And so if they reject Jesus as the Messiah, which they did over as a nation, as a whole, then they have to come to the idea of believing that Jesus is the Messiah, He is the one that was promised for thousands of years. And so the first step is acknowledging that Jesus is the Messiah, confessing him as the Messiah and the Lord. So you get a better understanding of this particular verse. It's true. It's true every day of the week. But when he's talking and sharing this verse, he's primarily first talking about Jewish people who didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. You see where I'm going with that? See see how you understand and have a, a deeper understanding of that passage of Scripture? when we when we back out and we look at the chapters around it simply put one verse can't be the basis for our theology our understanding of god it just is not healthy we won't get a full picture we have to be able to back out there go in the next level of context is is right here the bible as a whole you kind of you're zoomed in you zoom out you zoom out to the big picture the bible as a whole is your next level of understanding what you need to do on anything that you really are studying in scripture is look and see what the Bible says as a whole about that topic or about that subject. There's no excuse anymore. Used to, if you wanted to find out what Bible verses or speak about a certain topic, you had to have a big old concordance. and It was like going to the gym. It was like lifting weights. And those things are still good. And there's still some really good ones out there. But everything that you had in a huge book, in many books, you now have on your phone or you know how by a simple Google search on your computer you can go, I'll tell you a tool, if you want to write this down if you're taking notes and you can ask me later if you forget look up Blue Letter Bible it's a website, it's an app, you can find it anywhere like that, on your phone, you can find it on the web Blue Letter Bible and there's some really cool tools, even just a Bible search, it's great for that but then you can go even deeper and if you ever want to know more I can try to help you walk through it it's a really cool tool you can find in a matter of moments Anything, any verse that the Bible speaks about a certain topic, if you know if it's included in Scripture, and it's a really cool tool. So understanding what the Bible says as a whole. Now that's where you start. Context, 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 right? But here's how you get a little bit deeper. Here's a few questions you can ask when you're reading a passage of Scripture. Everybody, wait with me. I know I don't normally, you know, go through little detail things like this, but this is super important. All right. If you're starting to doze off, slap your neighbor. That'll start a fight, and you'll both be awake. You'll be able to pay attention. (laughs) These are not the only questions, but here's a few to get you started When you're reading a passage of scripture, first ask this question, let's look at it What covenant was it written under? Now, if you've never heard that word or never heard it in these terms You ever heard the word testament, old and new testament? That word is interchangeable, old covenant, new covenant, old testament, new testament That's the question that you ask, and you may say, well, why is that important? Here's why it's important because depending on how God was relating to people at the particular time that it's written or spoken determines how we can relate to it. All right? For example, there are really three ways that you can sort of look at there's pre covenant, like in Genesis and early part of Genesis, there's no covenant between God and man. It was not, the old covenant wasn't given yet. The law wasn't given until uh, it was recorded in Exodus. And so then you have the old covenant, the Old Testament. And then after Jesus comes along and the church begins, you have the new covenant or the new testament. And we need to learn that there are different ways that God relates to people in all those things. Now, we ultimately learn it was by faith, but there's different ways he relates. Jeremiah 29:11 is a good passage. How many of you ever heard that verse? If you don't know the verse by, by the name of it, uh, the, the reference, you may know what it says. Um, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And a lot of people quote that. And it's a good verse. It's true. Like we said earlier, it's a true verse. It's in the Bible. It's true. It's God's word. But many people will quote that verse when they're they're filling out their lottery numbers. <laughs> you know? They'll say, God, give me money. You know, help that job come through. I need it right. It's my money. I need it right now. Like J.G. Wentworth. Boom. Thank you, Jesus. You know? And they read that verse and they apply it like that. But do you know that in the context where it was written under the Old Covenant, the Jewish people had gone into exile, into Babylon, and they were going to be in exile for 70 years. And so what he's telling them in this passage, Jeremiah 29, 11, he's saying, I've got plans to prosper you and not to harm you, but it's not going to be in the way that you think. It's not going to be in the timing that you think. It's not going to be an instantaneous thing. He tells them, he goes on, he says, build houses, get married because you're going to be here for a while. And one day I will come and I'll set you free. And so he's going to prosper in a way they did not think. And he's going to prosper in a time that they were not planning on. So let's make sure we understand the context, the old covenant passage versus a new covenant passage. And here's one more quick way, but I think this is so key. Many of us, when people are having discussions and debates about uh, baptism... They'll talk about, they'll say, well, baptism isn't essential because what about the thief on the cross? And they'll say that a lot of times. What about the thief on the cross? If, if you don't know what that is, Jesus is being crucified. He's on the cross, and there's w- one of two other thieves that were there that were hanging on the cross beside Jesus. And one says, Father, or, or remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he says, I tell you that today you will be with me in paradise. And so people say, he was saved without being baptized. Jesus said, you're going to be in paradise with me. Okay, number one, this is outside of this little discussion we're having. But number one, if Jesus looks you in the eye and tells you something, you can bank on it. Okay, that's good. If if Jesus pops in your living room, you're good. I'm not going to argue with you, okay? But in understanding the context of, of what covenant it's under, it says in Hebrews that a covenant or a will or a testament, all three words are interchangeable, a covenant, a will, or a testament are only instituted with the death of the one who wrote it. So at the moment when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he is not yet what? Dead. He's not yet been buried. He's not yet been resurrected. So they're still under the old covenant, the old testament. Christian baptism is described as in Romans 6 as the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. At this point when they're hanging on the cross and he looks at the thief on the cross there was no such thing as Christian baptism because there was no death, resurre- burial and resurrection of Jesus so you can't be die into yourself in sin and be buried and be resurrected with Christ at baptism. And so it's spoken under the Old Covenant. It throws us off because it's written in the Gospels, which are included in the New Covenant, but the New Covenant doesn't take place until the church begins after Jesus has died, buried, and resurrected. Does that make sense? So understanding covenants is so key, it's so important, and it can turn a light on for us to understanding and following Scripture. All right, here's another question. We're going we're to get through this quick. You don't have to go to sleep on me, all right? Here's the thing. Number two, what type of literature is it? And so you might at first say it, Bible, <laughs> because you may not know. There are different types of literature in Bible, but if you pay close attention, you'll see really quickly there are different types of literature. For instance, just to name a few, there's history, like some books are just a recording of what happened. There are poetry, you know, like Psalms, if you're familiar with Psalms. Um, there are le- letters, uh, epistles, are, they're called, you know, that je- here's, you can, maybe you went on Jeopardy. An apostle was a follower sent out by Jesus. An epistle was not an apostle's wife, just in case you're wondering. All right? Man, I thought that would. I thought at least get a pity laugh. Courtesy. (laughs) Good one. You know. But an epistle is simply a letter. An epistle is simply a letter. There's also prophecy, prophecy that we find. We need to understand what type of literature is being spoken if we want to have a good understanding of how to interpret and understand the scripture. For example, there's certain psalms in in the book of Psalms that they call imprecatory psalms. And, And just so you know what I'm talking about here, if you're reading through psalms and it starts talking about, God, I wish you would bust the teeth out of my enemies and do all this sort of stuff. That was what we call an imprecatory psalm. Those are not necessarily meant for you to apply when you are mad at the line getting, waiting to get gas. Dear Lord, bust out their teeth and make their car explode so I can get at the gas pump. Don't be, don't be acting like y'all don't think that stuff sometimes. Judgmental. <laughs> but those aren't necessary to be applied to our everyday life. It's poetry. It's, it's symbolic language, and it's something we need to understand. I have a, a preacher that I highly respect who years ago said this. His name was Roger Chambers. He said, people we, uh, will read the book of Revelation like it's written by a 42-year-old white man from Paducah, Kentucky. And what he means is it was written by a Middle Eastern man at a different time in a different culture. And when he wrote the book of Revelation as God inspired it, they used phrases and Idioms that we don't necessarily understand, and so we cannot, in our time, in our culture, read it exactly the way we understand it. Expect to understand it. Now, Revelation's a whole other thing. It's it's difficult to understand on any level, and people have all types of ideas. But you can't sit there and read it literally in most places in Revelation, like you would say Ephesians. Does that make sense? All right, let's keep going. Number three. Here's the third question: Who is the author? Or who is speaking in the passage that's being written and written down in scripture. Here's a good example of this. You can open the Bible and just start reading and you might land on a passage where Satan himself is speaking. So you see how it's dangerous to make sure that, you know, that don't just assume that it's God. God. And don't just assume that because it's written in the Bible that it's a true statement because it could be Satan deceiving someone, and they're just recording the story like in Genesis. So you have to see who's speaking, or you can ask who the author is who's writing this passage. Now, ultimately, God's the author, right? But he did use human beings to write these things down. And that helps you understand if it's an Old Testament passage, a New Testament passage, that type of thing. Another example of this to make sure you know who's speaking is in the book of Job, You ever read the book of Job? It's a long one, but there's different times when Job's friends and even his wife say, you just need to curse God and die. Is that godly wisdom? No. It's somebody who's got an ungodly mindset, and you have to understand who's speaking if you want to understand the truth of Scripture. We don't want to do that and expect God to bless us, curse God, and die. That's that's not what we want to do. So know who is speaking or who the author is. Here's the fourth question. Who is it written to and for? Ask that question as you're reading the passage of Scripture. Is it written, for example, like in Romans 10, 9, and 10, is it written speaking about the Jewish people who need to believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Did you know that the Gospels were written with different audiences in mind? Matthew, for example, is a very Jewish Gospel. When Matthew first put, you know, whatever pen to scroll or parchment he had a Jewish audience in mind first and foremost. That's good we read it, but he used figures of speech and he talked about prophecy that only they would be familiar with that Gentiles wouldn't really have a good understanding of. And so he says the Gospels are written, we understand the Gospels are written to different people groups. And it's good for us to understand that. Uh, we mentioned Romans chapter 10 and understand it was written about the Jews, people that have rejected him the Messiah. and They needed to believe in the Messiah before they could have a relationship with Jesus. But then you take those last two questions, who it's written to, who it's written for, and who was the author who was speaking, and you kind of tie them together with one follow-up question. What was the original meaning? Okay? Now, here's why it's important. Because we can't read a passage of Scripture and have a totally different meaning than what was originally meant by the author and who it was for. We want to do our best to be faithful and true to the Scripture. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 explains that a little bit better. It says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so there's a, a way that we can understand this is that people didn't get to in, interject their inject their interpretation. When, when Paul wrote Scripture... He was doing what God was telling him to do. And ultimately, I believe you can understand that on the other side of the coin, when, those first, when the church at Ephesus was reading the Scripture, it wasn't their job to say, well, this is going to be my interpretation. You can have your interpretation, and you can have your interpretation. It says it was given by God through the Holy Spirit, not by the will of man, but men who spoke from God as they were carried by the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you this. If you're having a discussion or hopefully not an argument, but maybe even an argument about Scripture and understanding Scripture, you know what the best way to kill a good biblical discussion is? To say these words. Well, that's just your interpretation. That will kill a good biblical discussion. Because we need to understand that in almost every passage of Scripture, there's really only one interpretation There's one thing that God intended for us to understand. Now, here's something I do want you to hear. If if you tuned out, tune back in. Listen to this. There can be many applications to Scripture, but one interpretation. There can be many applications, ways you take that Scripture and apply it in your everyday life. There can be many versions of that sometimes. But there's normally only one interpretation of Scripture. So as best we can, if we're talking with somebody and we've got a difference of opinions, let's do our best to study Scripture to come to an understanding in unity based on God's Word as best we can. That should be our goal, to be united in love and in the truth of the Word of God. That's what we need to try to do. So there's some intellectual things that I wanted to give you that are helps for for drinking the milk of the Word and eating the meat of the Word. But it's not simply a textbook, is it? It's not simply a textbook. I can give you these tools. You can know these tools. You might have been employing these tools for years upon years upon years, and you still have a hard time reading God's Word. You know, it's a struggle for all of us. It's not a textbook. So before we wrap up today, I want to think about this. How do we develop a love for God's Word? How do we develop a love for God's word? Because your life in Christ will never get any better, never get any stronger if the word of God is neglected in your life. So how do you develop a love for God's word that just sends you seeking after it and diving into it and digging into it like somebody looking for treasure? And some of you are like, I don't believe that's possible. Just being honest. Some of you feel that way. I just think the Bible's boring. And one thing I can say, even though I struggle sometimes, one thing I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt is if anybody says that the Bible as a whole is boring, they haven't read it. They have not read it. I mean there's there's stuff in there that will make Jerry Springer blush. You remember Jerry Springer? You know? Dr. Phil, maybe that's a little more current. You know, there are things that will make them be like, no, nah, we can't have that on our show. We got a little bit of class, <laughs> you know? It is not a boring book if you dig down and you read in it, and it will change your life from the inside out. But that's the key. How do we get that love that consumes us? The truth is this you won't hunger for the word as long as it's a task or a chore. You won't develop a hunger for the Word of God as long as it's a task or it's a chore that you have to do. Or i got to check off my box. Yep, read my Bible today. Because you can read, I mean, volumes of Scripture and never let it get here. So you've got to make sure that you understand that it's not a task or a chore. Reading the Word of God has to come from a love for God's truth. And here's where I believe it makes a switch for us. Love for God's Word comes from putting it into practice and seeing God prove it true. That's what it takes. You have to read God's Word, put it into practice, go out and live it, and then God will show it to be true time and time again. But that takes faith, that takes boldness, that takes courage, that takes actually getting outside of your comfort zone and doing things that you don't like to do. But that's what we're going to do if we want to have a love for God's Word. Here's the thing. When you live in repentance, it's painful, but it changes you, doesn't it? Satan will whisper in your ear and say, oh, don't repent. You can't give up your sin. It's your habit. It's your addiction. It's it's fill in the blank. People won't like you. They won't trust you. They won't won't respect you. They fill in the blank. But if you repent, you see that it heals us. When you really live in faith, I don't mean just do the same old, same old and be the people who sit in the boat instead of Peter who gets out and tries to walk on water. When you really live in faith, God's word will become exciting. It absolutely will because you'll need it to survive. When you really start to live and act in boldness and step out in bold ways and speak the truth in love, you will be driven back to the word of God for strength like you've never needed it before. When you, do, when you go out and you practice evangelism, sharing your faith, you will see people come to Jesus and you will be on fire for the word of God. When you see answered prayers because you're praying for things that change this world and change God's kingdom, that's when you'll be driven back to the word of God. The word of God will come alive in ways you never imagined. But until then, reading the Bible will be a task, it will be a chore, and it will be something you either guiltfully avoid or you guiltfully do. And maybe if that's what you feel like reading the Bible, your challenge today is to stop messing around. Stop messing around and really devote some time and energy to God's Word. One of the things I love that Maddie's grandfather, I've said it before, One of the things that Maddie's grandfather, who went to be with Jesus not too long ago, he said was, I have four more hours in my day than most people. When you first hear that, you're like, what in the world are you talking about? You're crazy. He says, I don't have a television. Most people spend at least four hours a day with watching television or on their phone or on on their computer, on the internet. We waste time and we say we don't have it, but we do. But if you go through life not really digging into God's Word, you'll be missing out on the greatest blessing and opportunity and treasure in your entire life. When you start to live the Word of God, you'll see it proven true, and it will come alive in you, and it will become that fire that's shut up in your bones that you cannot keep it in anymore. Do you want that? Be careful. It's going to cost you. But what you give up will pale in comparison to what you gain. You'll gain the pleasure of standing on the day of judgment and seeing people who you help lead to Jesus who will hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And importantly, you will hear it about yourself. If you dig into the word of God, you realize, and I need to realize, it's the very words of God written for you and to you. You need this. I need it. It's given to strengthen and sustain you and to help you become an overwhelming conqueror. An overwhelming conqueror is what it's made for you to be. Not simply by faith, but in reality. Isn't that something that we want to ingest and eat daily and help us to grow? But to restate it more simply, simply we just need to read the Word, live the Word, Share the word, and I promise then you'll love the word. And that's going to take sacrifice. That's going to take effort, but the good thing is that God does all the work. (laughs) It's going to take you giving yourself to him and giving yourself to spending time in God's word and then living it out and sharing it, but when you do, you'll begin to love the word of God. And so today, if you sit here and you're tired of the same old, same old stuff, and maybe you've been coming to church for weeks or months or years, and you feel like it hasn't maybe changed, today's the day to start changing it up. It's always attributed to, uh, I believe, Albert Einstein to say that, you know, uh, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. Maybe it's time to stop being insane and start being crazy for Jesus Christ. to do what he says to get into his word and stop just kind of walking along and being carried along like a flower, like a, a feather on a breeze. It's time to really dig into God's word and be on purpose about the way we live our lives. It's time to stop coasting on spiritual fumes from Sunday to Sunday. And man, we can really relate to that this past week, can't we? wondering and hoping that you'll get a little something to keep you going. Instead, be feasting on the word of God every single day so that when you come together on Sundays, you're doing more pouring out than you are being poured into. And the church will grow and prosper and people will come to know Jesus. And you can be honoring to your mom who says, eat healthy, and your God, the Father, who says, spend time in my word. When we were just starting out, Luke was just a little baby boy riding in the car seat that Andrew once occupied not too long ago and it was in, he was in the back seat and he was sitting there and he picked up my Bible that was laying on the seat beside him and he picked it up like this and he was trying to open it from the spine we got him tested, he's okay <laughs> but he was trying to open it from the spine and he said Daddy, broken, broken, and he thought it wouldn't open, so it's broken, and man, it hit me in the heart, and it hit me between the eyes. How many times have I said that the Bible is broken because I'm simply not picking it up and using it the way God wanted me to? I thought, oh, he's a childish little kid, but man, I'm just like that sometimes, and how many of us have enough dust that would choke an Oklahoma and on top of our Bible? I mean, how many of us that don't pick up the word of God and we say, God, why is my life in a shambles? Why won't you speak to me? And he's like, pick it up and read it. I'm trying to speak to you. I'm trying to change your life from the inside out, but you won't let me. Well, the word can transform you from the inside out. It's time to pick up your Bible and not just simply nibble, but to feast. Go on our church app and you go under the messages tab, or you go on our church website, movementchristianchurch.com, and go under the same tab messages. You'll find a link to a 30 day Bible reading plan. If you like paper and want it printed out for you already, right by the communion elements, there's some papers back there. The same thing that you'll find on the PDF online. But it's a 30-day, just a few verses to get you started each day with an overview of the Bible. And so you'll spend a little bit of time in all different parts of Scripture. And so here's my challenge for all of us today is to get deeper in the Word. Because no matter how far deep down you think you are, you can always go a little bit deeper. And no matter how many times you've read one passage of Scripture, you can read it and you can understand a deeper level of what God is trying to say to you. And you'll be able to apply it in ways that maybe you never have before. Get into God's Word, and He will not only change you, He'll change everybody around you as the Holy Spirit works in their lives. God works through His Word. When we ingest it, and we live it, and we share it, we'll love it, and everybody will be better for it. Today, start something new, or renew your commitment to being deeper in God's Word if you've already been in God's Word. But let's feast rather than starve. Let's pray. God. Give us a hunger for your word. Help us to live it and help us to see how you show up. You've always been there. You've always been faithful. Just help our eyes to be open and help us to be changed from the inside out so it overflows into the people around us. Because, God, you are good in this word. The world needs your truth. Help us to live it and carry it and let it be that fire that we cannot keep in. We love you, Father. We pray this evening in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.